Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Um, this morning, Chris, are you on with me? Yes, hello. There he is. Hi, how are you? This is Christopher Weersman. Uh, he's the Communication Engagement Manager and Co-Director of Orca Media in Montpelier. And we're on the radio, but if you actually watched our Orca's coverage of the Montpelier Parade, you would have seen Chris emceeing the whole event. That must have been fun. That was fun, yeah. We had uh, a lot of fun. You know, it's a long tradition uh, in Montpelier, and uh, Orca Media has always been there to live stream it online and to our channel. Who's the young man who who uh, co-hosted with you? Uh, that was Rowan Harpel. Oh, He's uh, one of our camera operators, and yeah, young guy He's, that studied. I, tell uh, Rowan I apologize media. profusely. I know who he is, obviously, and I think he's doing a great job at Orca. Yeah, he really. Thanks. Yeah, he he did great. Yeah, he did. That was fun to watch both of you. Um, so um, I was would things start out about what is as Orca. Uh, public access TV in Vermont and and all of the layers. I was actually surprised at at one of the components of the Orca, I guess, ladder or something, because it starts, and I wanted you to talk about this, Vermont Public Utility, and then there's the Vermont Access Network, which is what Orca is all about, and then um, all of those um, stations report into the Alliance for Community Media, which is the national arm. Could you talk a little bit about... um, about how this all works together? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, Vermont uh, is pretty unique in that there's 24 community media centers, um, which are also known as public access TV organizations or PEG TV, public educational government access uh, organizations. And as you mentioned, um, there's a long history. Um, Rule 8 was established at the state government level which basically, um, you know, uh, it, it obligates the, the cable providers in Vermont to pay for these, uh, to pay for and run these nonprofits throughout the state. Um, so if you're in our area, in Montpelier, and you have a Comcast bill, there's a little uh, percentage of that bill that you'll see a line item that says uh, public access, and that funds Orca Media. So if you, we serve 13 towns in central Vermont, and if you live within those towns and you're a Comcast subscriber, um, it, you're helping us uh, uh, operate. So that's how that works here in Montpelier. But then um, it's pretty similar throughout the, the, the state. It's kind of divided up by the, the cable lines. Um, and so our area is a little bit scattered uh, around central Vermont, but um, they're all um, you could you could check it out by looking at the Vermont Access Network and see the map um, around the state. So the Vermont Access Network uh, or VAN is a nonprofit um, that uh, advocates for all the 24 community media centers throughout the state and kind of um, you know unites them in one voice at the state level. Uh, works to uh, uh, establish kind of uh, ways alternative funding um, as. You may know cable subscriptions are going down, so that's a, a big issue for us to kind of think about new ways of um, 
funding. And yeah, I'll, I, the Vermont Access Network also, you know, uh, provides um, opportunities for the 24 centers to collaborate on education programs. Uh, so youth media uh, training, um, technology, you know, understanding what's like the latest technology, camera equipment, video. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a great. Lot, oh, a lot of, of course, service. Yeah, the, yeah, and you we should mention just one thing for anybody who wants to avail themselves of the services we're going to be talking about. It's free. Oh, yeah. That's a good word, free, these days anyway. Um, and then you've got the overarching Alliance for Community Media, um, which is the, um, the overarching umbrella for all the um, – I think I read somewhere where there's 2,000 um, centers in uh, – yeah, 2,000 PEG access entities in uh, the world in the United States, which is a whole lot of uh, centers to be responsible for. So, and and PEG, um, that you've pretty much covered that. It's the public education and government access. And I read that, um, like stations like like Orca, you don't have to do all three, but somebody sometimes they split it up so there's more than one. Somebody may do just education, and then the public and government access on another station. It's it has a little variation on the theme, but you do all three it does. here in, in we Australia, do. correct? Yeah, I think you know we're kind of a medium-sized uh, organization and community that we serve here in uh, Central Vermont. So um, we do, and at the heart of that, you know, uh, our organization. When we say public education and government access, that's also because we we operate three channels on uh, Comcast. So there's a public access channel, there's an education access channel, and a government access channel. So that's all three of the Orca Media channels, but you're right. In Burlington, for example, in bigger communities in Vermont, um, you'll have Town Meeting TV um, uh, just does government access, uh, operates the government access, um, and then you have Media Factory now, formerly uh, VCAM and RATN, which manages the public and education side in Burlington. But, you know, they all do a whole bunch of other things. You know, uh, Town Meeting TV in, in Burlington does great uh, programs for youth and um, working with the young people. And so there's a lot, there's definitely a community side um, beyond the operating and managing the, the stations. Yeah, I thought it was important that people understand this this great service that's out there for free, as I mentioned. And um, and I wanted to go through all of that with you because um, you are open for business. Um, the COVID wasn't uh, was a little difficult to deal with, but we're here and um, and open for business. And you are the communications engagement manager for Orca. Could you talk a little bit about your job and maybe a little bit about your background? Yeah. So um, let's see. Um, my background is in um, in the arts, and um, I studied film and video back in Chicago, and um, I'm still studying it. I'm working on my MFA now, um, and yeah, so I've, I've been interested in um, in film production and media art and contemporary art for a long time, and um, I've been working in community media and the nonprofit uh, community media world since about 2015 on and off. And I've worked for Town Meeting TV in Burlington with Lauren Glenn Davidian and Megan O'Rourke. They're awesome. 
Um, and um, I worked uh, for Orchid Media now for a bit. And so, yeah, I um, the we have an interesting model in the sense that uh, we no longer have an executive director and we have three co-directors. So we have a, more of a democratic kind of horizontal uh, leadership structure now. And my wheelhouse is the community engagement side. So um, I work with uh, community partners and other nonprofits in our area. I work with the schools. I work with um, setting up the youth uh, media education programs like the Vermont Youth Documentary Lab, uh, which is starting next week. Super exciting. Um, and yeah, we all, and then along with Zach Zorn and Jin Ann, my other two co-directors at Orca Media, who um, manage the production and Zach, uh, his wheelhouse is the production side. And then Jin manages everything on the content end and kind of the end result, what you see on the channel. But we all kind of do a little bit of everything now uh, at the executive level as well. So, yeah. Um, you guys are doing a great job as a team. You really are. I can, hey, I can see it. And so um, I know when I'm, when I'm there, and I, I mentioned somewhere um, that every guest I've ever had uh, who – I've had so many guests that, that represent every community in Vermont, I think. Um, they were always pleased to be at Orca and always uh, very impressed with staff, uh, with the quality of the folks that are working there, and, of course, the end product, which is important. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I guess I should mention, too, you were saying that um, our services and resources are free, which is, which is correct, and that's one of the great things about uh, Community Media Center. And so um, just to quickly mention what the services and resources are, we have, yes, uh, we kind of, we do a lot with a little, right? So we have a small organization, but um, so one of the ways that you can engage with us is uh, by borrowing video and audio production equipment. So all of that is available free of, to use and we uh, offer trainings and orientations on the equipment. Um, and then we um, we offer event coverage, so our staff can come and cover an event. Say you're having a public meeting, um, or you're having a, a performance or a protest uh, in Montpelier, and you want us to come and cover it and uh, broadcast it on our channel. We can do that. Um, we also offer uh, a number of media arts uh, education programs, like I mentioned, um, the Vermont Youth Documentary Lab. We do uh, mentorships through Montpelier High School through their um, community-based learning mentorship program, along with U32 and some other schools. Uh, we've been partnering with Twinfield over in Plainfield. Um, yeah, and then we have a TV studio, as you know, Pat. Um, and the TV studio free it, uh, a resource to check out, and you can make, you know, like a talk talk show style show that uh, in there. There's uh, professional audio lighting. We have a camera switcher, and um, so that's a, a nice uh, resource to use. And then, lastly, we have four editing suites that we call. So, uh, call them uh, editing suites. Are you know more or less private rooms where you can um, uh, edit your video. So we have you know some Pro Mac books and uh, Premiere Pro that you can access uh, the software to edit on. And we'll train you on that as well, so you can edit your own video. I didn't know that. 
that editing part, excellent. Because um, I do, um, we've done over the years some Zoom uh, meetings that we have then sent to Zach, but um, probably could do it ourselves if I learned how get my act together. Um, it's and it's a wonderful space. Now you were down in city center for a long time, and although I miss the restaurants after the show, my show is over. The uh, um, what is it? The three penny. Ugh. Oh yeah. Anyway, you're you're up in the in the college uh, with many many rooms and a lot of space, and I think that's that's great that you. The other one was was. Uh, little tight but uh you've got a lot of space now um yeah there's a lot and the bridge is there there's other community organizations in the in the building exactly that's really cool um do you i was thinking do you ever do anything with lost nation theater because they do probably not because they've got their equipment there um we have in the past yeah um we've we've covered some of their events i know that um you know they do youth programs that we've been a part of um, yeah, we've, we've, you know, the thing is like, uh, like I said, that event coverage part of the work that we do is, is pretty, um, it's pretty huge. So like anybody within the 13 towns that we serve can request that we come out and, and, uh, film an event that's happening and broadcast it. So over the last couple of years that I've been involved, I mean, we've, we've been all over and we've, um, We've covered everything. So, yeah, Lost Nation Theater, they're great folks, and they're always doing exciting things. That's great. Well, because I know during uh, – I was thinking about them only because during COVID, they actually live-streamed their shows, which I thought – and you had to pay for it. It was like having a ticket in your living room. I thought that was a great idea. I, I know they're not still doing it, but I thought, wow, that's a, that's an interesting way to – Make a little money and to share um, the talents of all their people with um, Vermonters. Um, so I wasn't sure if you were involved in any of that because that was a very, very clever idea. That was good. Yeah, that's anyway. I, you know, did you, I, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's definitely one of the things we have and continue to help uh, organizations with is is live streaming and and running hybrid events. You know, hybrid meetings that have folks in person and over Zoom and then they're broadcast on YouTube. So it's like, that's definitely quite the setup. And uh, Jen and Zach have, have done an awesome job um, really making that happen and, and collaborating with organizations. I, I never remember the name of this system, but you put up um, for all the other orchestrations uh, around uh, um, Vermont to, to be able to draw down the shows that you produce and you, and it's on some kind of a shared market um, I don't yeah. Know oh, the Vermont Media Exchange. Right. That's it. Vermont Media thing. So um, if you do a video here, you never know where it's going to show up because um, uh, people from the uh, public access stations can pull it down because it's all funded by public monies and available to whomever. Yeah, and that's I think definitely – that's, um, Jin uh, Ann does all of that with Orca, and um, that's huge. So, you know, it, like your show, Vote for, for Vermont, uh, that's um, one of the, the appeals, too, that you can reach, you know, an audience beyond uh, our 13 towns, and it can be shared statewide. We also have, um, you know, the Vermont Community Television, which is a, a the statewide channel that van manages and it plays content from around the state so you know with the 24 uh 
community media centers around the state. They can play content from each other and they can also uh, send it to the statewide channel, which is in HD uh, and everyone can, can watch that. And it's kind of a variety of stuff from all over the state. Um, yeah. And with the Vermont media exchange, it, al- it also, all of that um, content can be shared throughout new England too. So there's a, a new England wide uh, media exchange so that um, other public access uh, TV organizations couldn't grab those programs as well. Excellent. I actually didn't know about the New England connection. That's really wonderful. I'd get a lot of exposure here. Um, oh, yeah. That's, that's good. Could you, um, as long as you've mentioned it before, and I was, I'm never quite sure what this is all about, but for the Vermont Youth Documentary Lab, could you talk about that? Sure. So the Vermont Youth Documentary Lab, um, we started that in uh, 2021. So we're in our third year now. Um, and uh, yeah, the focus has been on youth ages 15 to 19, um, really exploring uh, a local issue um, and or a personal ish, uh, a story um, in the community. And using um, we get, we use cinema cameras, so uh, some nicer end cameras, um, and they get to learn about documentary uh, and documentary filmmaking and um, how to produce a short, uh, pretty short film. We end up producing something like five to 10 minutes long. And um, I will say that we just won the first place prize for last summer's project down at the, uh, in White River Junction at the um, youth uh, filmmaking contest, uh, Freedom and Unity Youth Filmmaking Contest. We won the first place prize for history and contemporary issues. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, just a focused time that, um, young people come to Montpelier and, um, this summer is really exciting, a little bit different. I'm having a, a few guest filmmakers come and talk to the youth participants, um, about filmmaking and about, uh, the work that they've done. Um, so that's super exciting. That sounds great. And congrats on the award. That's really a uh, very special where, is is it listed the Vermont Youth um, Documentary Lab? Is that listed on your on your website so that we could go see that the winning um, video? Yeah, definitely. You can uh, probably the easiest way to to check that out is to just go to Orca Media on YouTube, and you'll see um, one of the channels that's embedded there on the the homepage on the on Orca Media's YouTube is is Vermont Youth Documentary Lab, and you'll see um, a handful of things throughout the years. That's great. I, I, I feel a show coming on from getting some of the youth that that were involved to talk about their experience. Good yeah, job. that'd be great. Actually, there is a, a really neat, um, if if, uh, if you're checking out the content there, there's a really neat video that is like, um, it's over Zoom, so the, the audio is all right, you know, but um, it's a panel discussion with young filmmakers and teachers and, and people throughout the state that I uh, had participate in um during the alternative media conference at goddard college so it was it's through goddard but it's on there on the youtube too and that's really interesting to hear young people talk about their experience in the vermont youth documentary lab and talk about uh you know making films from their perspective too that's really great um uh we should talk about uh, you, you mentioned all the equipment which people can borrow uh can use um you know in their offices if there's something that they Want to? I, I've always envisioned um, 
employers using your equipment and uh, the talents of your staff for doing training within their within their company. Um, if you want to um, make a video, you go to Orca, and it's done. And I will say that if you want them to videotape something, you've got to do it early enough so that Jin can can schedule because um, there's there's staff, but they're usually pretty busy, so you got to get on their radar. Yeah, so right on the website there at orcamedia.net, um, up in the corner at the top right corner, it says create, and then um, you click on that, and it says event coverage request, and that's, like you're mentioning, to get on the production calendar. That's the easiest right. way. You just fill out the form, and you can put your get your event on our calendar, and we'll, we usually – um, yeah, if it's early enough, we can we can make it happen. You know, so we have about ten part-time staff that we send out in the community to um, to film events. Um, yeah, but like you you also mentioned the video and audio uh, pr- uh, production equipment end of things. That's that's a huge that's a, a great opportunity to just go and do things yourself too. So if there's an event in the community, um, you could also cover it yourself by borrowing a camera, a tripod, and some some microphones and and record your own event and get it on the air. And if there's something that you're not able to cover or maybe it's outside of your wheelhouse, there's a list of photographers and producer photographers that you can hire, that I've hired um, two of them um, quite often. Actually, three. I've used three over the years where I've, I've paid for them to do something special um, for me on uh, another show that I do. Uh, well, actually, on Vote for Vermont, which is on Orca. Um, but it's it's a great it's great to know that you're hiring really good photographers who who know how to help you produce the the video, and uh, they're very helpful. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a good opportunity. I mean, I think that uh, Orca Media is also just a nice you know resource to if. A lot of people just reach out to, because they're interested in film or media and they don't really know, you know, what we do or what's going on. And it's a great way to meet people and connect with uh, other folks interested in that um, uh, end of things in, in central Vermont. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. Um, you also have internships, which I think uh, young people may be very interested in if you want to talk about that, because that's a great opportunity. Yeah, we've. I mean, we've done all kinds of different internships. Uh, we've had, like I said, um, more like focused education-based uh, uh, mentees through the um, uh, the CBL program at Montpelier High School. We've had uh, interns through the Vermont State um, Youth Employment Program, which is really great. Um, we've had, uh, yeah, folks just walk in and want to intern, and that sometimes there's an opportunity. It, um, it really just depends, like what's going on and uh, what kind of projects we could put people on. But there's always, there's definitely a lot of opportunities. Uh, Chris, um, on your website there are there's a list of 18 shows which you refer to as series. They're on on a regularly scheduled basis, and they cover a variety of topics. Um, one is mine, a vote for Vermont, which is. Um, pretty much sort of like the radio show here. We bring all kinds of uh, folks to you, um, to our viewers. And But there's a show I'm trying to remember. There's LGBTQIA Plus show, um, which is very interesting. And they have um, uh, there's three folks on the, the show. Plus there's a, um, a youth program as well. Um, and there's a show about the Abenaki, 
And what else am I? There's oh, there's arts and arts discussions, movies. What else am I forgetting? I should have brought. Um, yeah, there's a, sh- a show called Abled and On Air, uh, right. which is awesome. Where uh, Larry Seller uh, interviews uh, folks um, in throughout the the disability community, and yep. you know, and um, and he does a really fantastic job and has been doing that for a long time. Yeah, all things LGBTQ. Uh, their their show is awesome and has won a number of awards as well. Um, yeah. Well, because they cover so much, they do a lot of um, coverage of things that are happening outside the United States, and uh, they bring insight into the discussion that's um, personal and uh, very informative for uh, for people to listen to them. It's a great show. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I and your show I your show just won an award. Mine? Oh, mine! Yes, it did. I was so excited. Not too bad. <laughs> Turn it into eighty soon, and I and I won an award. I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, cool. the hometown media awards. That's a, a big deal because it's a, the national. As you mentioned earlier, the Alliance for Community Media hosts um, every year the hometown media awards, um, where they celebrate different programs throughout the community media world throughout the country. Throughout the country, and. Um, yeah, the vote for Vermont won one of the awards in the news category. Well, that's and I think that it's because of the show that we did, which was a show on a report that Larry, Chris, and uh, Bill Young did from DCF and and uh, some issues that uh, they brought to people's attention on their report that they did, and it was um, uh, I think that that helped a lot. It was that we were bringing current news and news that needs to be shared. Um, um, out to the out to our listen our viewers so that was I was very excited and Zachary was there to pick up the award for me which was really cool I haven't seen That's... the plaque yet but I'm going to go on Monday um, <laughs> anyway but there's there's tons of shows as I said 18 um, and they you know the Fourth of July parade is on there now um, school boards press conferences we certainly covered all those during COVID that's for sure and we cannot. Um, Continue with what the, what you cover without mentioning the state house, because um, now all of their meetings are by Zoom, and I so hope they continue that. Yeah, so that's that's huge for us too. You know, like I mentioned, um, within the thirteen towns that we serve, uh, we're also um, regularly covering and broadcasting um, local government, so select boards, uh, city council, and Montpelier. Um, and a lot of those are live to the channel and live online. Um, and then, so the other kind of um, community, the other area that we serve is is the state house. So we we broadcast um, uh, state house committee meetings uh, throughout the session, and um, some of those are live. Um, you know, a lot has changed during COVID. Our focus was definitely on. Um, making the the uh, governor phil scott's um his his weekly uh briefings during covid uh we we really like put a lot of energy and resources and that was huge um uh that was effort from uh jen and zach to to make that available um and put resources into that and you know as you know vermont public took the audio stream from orca so it was a nice collaborative effort there and throughout local media um, but yeah, we've, I mean, over the years we've been covering, um, you know, we follow issues, uh, that are, that, uh, community 
uh, members care about, and when we'll make sure that we're in the committee rooms recording and broadcasting the the committees gavel to gavel, as like we like to say, so from from start to finish, and we don't edit anything. Um, so you have an opportunity to view the whole meeting. Um, recently, our um, we put resources into like making sure that we're in the rooms that have um, maybe poor audio, right? So as you said, so during COVID, a lot of the committee, um, well, all of the committees went to YouTube to um, broadcast their Zoom meetings, um, and the system that they're using where they have kind of like a meeting owl and it goes um, live to YouTube. But some of them, it's hard to see and hear folks in the room. So we've made sure that where those ones are, are difficult to, to listen to, we've we, uh, continued to show up with our equipment um, and help out on that front. That's great because I because I was in the legislature for two sessions and in those rooms they're so small you maybe could fit in. I'm being generous, eight to ten people to listen. But but with what you're doing now, what they're doing now, I've seen 48, 50 people tuned in to listen, and it has just opened up democracy for Vermonters, which I think is fabulous. They 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 not they can't talk, they can't communicate to the. Um, to the committee members, but, you know, you, you get to hear and learn, and then you can comment later if you want, but I think that's really great. Yeah, I think all of the, um, that's part of, right, yeah, like you, you mentioned, that's part of uh, participatory democracy is just creating all points, different points of entry, um, and, and Orca Media is just one of those, and it, I think, um, yeah, there's there's, it's still, you know, it's great to show up to a meeting, if, um, but sometimes you can't, and sometimes you just want to follow it and, and make sure that you're paying attention to something going through committees, um, and ORCA helps with that. So that's really that's really wonderful. Yeah, it's great. I, I love just to see so many people, especially if it's a hot topic, so many people listening in and, and watching uh, democracy in, at work. So um, I'm hoping someday um, that we'll be able to communicate, whether by chat or something um, with the committee, because sometimes you're, you're, I am, because I'm a, I'm a junkie. Um, sometimes I'm yelling at home, no, 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 and you just <laughs> love to comment. But maybe that's why they do it or don't do it. I don't know. Um, but it's a great service. And how now you, you pick the committees you're in more by the sound quality than the, than the topic necessarily. Is that what you were saying? Because I, I was wondering why you pick the, the committees you do pick, because I, I uh, monitor a lot of the, the hot topic bills um, uh, for a campaign for Vermont. So, But right. you do it mostly for sound quality. Yeah, I mean, within the last year, our focus has shifted to, towards that. So I think um, historically, you know, we followed the, the things that are um, that everyone's kind of interested in and talking about um, on, you know, whether it's in seven days or Vermont public or VT digger, right. Whatever is kind of, yeah, like you said, the hot uh, topics, things moving through the state house um, will tend to, to try to be there. Um, but when everything shifted, uh, like we mentioned uh, during COVID to, to YouTube and um, every committee has a, a, its own YouTube channel, um, our focus was really how do we uh, use our expertise in in video and audio production to to um, to help out with that effort. So that that's when it became more like, well, you know, there's certain committee rooms that you've you've probably been to, like 
room 11, which is huge or something right. like that. Um, and, and it helps to have, um, the, the professional camera operator and the professional audio setup in there. It's, it's really, and it's very much appreciated. So thank you very much because I know that budget of yours is, um, you got to watch that all the time too. So, um, <laughs> very, much, very much appreciated what you guys do for sure. When, when you're out, because part of your job is reaching out to potential customers, uh, when you're out talking to a business, say, uh, somebody who may not know about Orca, what is your, I don't have to use the word pitch, but what is? what do you tell them, you know, hi, I'm Christopher from Orca, and Orca is. How do you sell the, because you have got so much to offer the community, and I I, I would don't think I hope this helps get the word out because it's um, it's a real it's a real treasure for sure. How, what do you right. say to them to get their attention? That's a that's a great question. So I think that that's um, like you mentioned. Uh, it, it's really it can be difficult because we do so much with such a small organization. Um, but I think the the way that um, public access TV has kind of been rebranded as community media centers uh, helps kind of define and, and clarify what we do, that we're really a community center. We're a nonprofit. So we do, um, we help out uh, to create non-commercial content, you know, uh, so individuals and, and organizations can use our services and resources. Um, so I usually start with that as a pitch that uh, we're one of 24 community media centers kind of explaining what uh, community media, community television is, um, and uh, the five or six kind of wheelhouses that we, uh, the services and, and resources that we provide, and that we have a space in Montpelier, a physical space that you can come in and check out, um, and that we operate three channels on uh, local television. That's great. I um, I don't know. I just think about this. I usually give the link to my guests, uh, particularly if they are candidates for, you know, Democrat, Republican, Progressive, I I open up the show to anybody who wants to, and we'll, depending on whether it's um, local or statewide or uh, congressional, that, that sort of sets the amount of time for the actual show. But I give them the link, and I tell them that they're sort of free to cut and paste um, and to edit if they've said something totally brilliant. They may want to edit that out and put that particular segment on their website and use it to, to help get the word out about who they are. Um, so there's, it's not just because Ben and I, Ben Kinsley and I, have found that an hour sometimes is um, is a little too long to hold people's attention. So if you can cut it down a little, um, particularly in a campaign, that uh, it's very beneficial to the candidates and um, and helps uh, voters to get a feel for who the men or women are who are running. Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great point. And, you know, during the elections, uh, we, I think, um, we were pretty successful in that we, you know, we tried to make sure it within Washington County, we brought in all of the candidates and we collaborated with the bridge and Cassandra at the bridge was awesome. And, uh, in the efforts over there to, to have, uh, to moderate, uh, forums, right. With candidates. And yeah, once, once you have the, you know, that, that good looking audio and video with the professional lights and professional, uh, uh, audio setup, it, 
as a candidate, it's really great to like take a clip from that and to use in your campaign. Um, and same with, um, yeah, kind of like how, how you were saying that if you're a local nonprofit that um, comes onto your show and talks for an hour, maybe you want to clip out uh, two minutes and put it on social media because it looks great and sounds great. Um, that's also an option and you could, we can help with that or we can, you can come in and do that yourself. Chris, not only do you, you're out there in the community, I'm talking about Orca, but you also have a newsletter and you have a very lovely Facebook page. Um, <laughs> how can people, who writes the newsletter for you? Uh, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, All the... You do a good job. <laughs> that's great. It's Thanks. a great way to find Thanks. out what's happening in the show's. Um, so I think you, I think I signed up the other day um, right on the website, right? Yeah, it's easy to if you just kind of go to uh, orcamedia.net and scroll down to the bottom at that footer. There's all the the fun stuff that you can uh, connect with us on social media. So and you can sign up for the newsletter. There's a link right there, um, and the uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and recently joined TikTok. So look out for that. Um, uh. Yeah, and of course YouTube, um, uh, archive.org. There's plenty of ways to find us. And then uh, the newsletter is a, is a nice opportunity to write in your uh, inbox. You can see I usually highlight uh, five to six um, programs from the last month, and then talk about some things happening at Orca, some events coming up, and um, so it's a great way to see a variety, kind of a curated variety of of all the things that we do every month. That's really. That's right. Do you know there's a new one uh, I just heard today? It's called, uh, what's it called? Stitches? or st- It's by Zuck- Zuckerberg. Um, oh, right. It's, Threads. Yeah, it I heard that. Yeah, and, and that's apparently it's got all kinds of people signing up to join that uh, that media stream anyway. So I just yeah, do maybe Facebook. you'll that's, see us over there. That's all I can manage. <laughs> I do. I think it's pretty good that I'm even on Facebook at my age, and I don't normally mess up. I put too much on Facebook. I should edit some of the things I say. But at the, t- at the time, it feels really good. But and anyway, if somebody has an idea for a show, because this is actually how I got on to um, Orca and doing my show, which I've been doing, I think seven, eight, seven, eight years now. Um, Jackie was the woman that worked, I believe, at Orca. Uh, was was the um, head of the was the manager for Orca? I I did a a, a um, candidate uh, two second thing out there. You know, hi, my name is Pat McDonald, blah blah. And she came to me and she said, "You should do a show because I can talk." So she thought that was a good deal. Uh, anyway, we talked about it and came up with the the platform for Vote for Vermont. So if somebody has an idea, uh, first you can go and test it out for free for nothing. And see how you look and appear, and and you guys would help in in the production end of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll definitely say that we're always looking for new shows. We're always looking for new community producers like yourself who um, want to take advantage of the resources that we have. Whether it's the the studio producing a, st- a studio show, a regular studio show, which is probably like the um, one of the easiest ways to engage with us where, cause all you got to do is come on in and talk. And, and so on your end, you know, you produce the show and coordinate your, with your guests and then we help with the production. Um, but yeah, we're willing to like sit down with you and, um, and talk about your idea and help make it happen. So sometimes it's a combination of uh, doing interviews out in the field and borrowing our equipment to do an interview 
um, and then editing it together. Uh, sometimes it's uh, just helping make your show happen in the studio. It's, it's but, really um, great. And you do it in such a way that I feel very comfortable. And how many times we've had to stop the show because I've messed up something. Um, you know, and then it gets edited, so you you guys make me and my guests and and all the other shows look fabulous, because you edit out those little little errors that we make along the way. So that's a good thing. We yeah. So always... oh, I was just going to mention there's a number of ways to to come on in. You can just visit us anytime. You know, we're up at Vermont College of Fine Arts in Montpelier, um, 62 Ridge Street, and then. Um, you could always email us, which is probably the easiest way to get get um, in contact with us and pitch an idea or just say you'd like to come and check it out. Or you can call us. And, yeah, I can give you the email and phone number if you're interested. Yeah, please do that. Because we'll post All right. It. Sure. So you could call 802-224-9901. Um, you can email info at orcamedia.net. Um and yeah, or you could email. Let's see, this, another one is uh, production at orcamedia.net. So either one will all uh, uh, the co-directors will see it and will help you uh, get started. That's great. And could you tell me? I you kept saying Jin does um, content. What what does she do relative to content? Because it's pretty much um, a freedom of speech place where you can just go on and do your thing and. There's no politics involved. Right. It's right. You and your beliefs. Right. So uh, content management. So uh, that uh, content management um, is 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 everything from um, scheduling all of the, the content that is broadcasting on the three channels. Right. Um, everything from file management on the back end. So as you can imagine. Uh, video and uh, takes up a lot of space, right? So um, there's kind of that IT uh, uh, administrative element on the back end, managing all of the the video and the content that we have over the years um, that we keep bringing in, you know, hours and hours every every day. Um, yeah, managing what you see on the website, managing uh, what you see on YouTube, that kind of is all in the content management uh, wheelhouse. No wonder she's always so busy. No wonder all of you are always so busy. <laughs> you got a lot on your plate. I really want to thank you very much. Um, I hope people will reach out. Um, and I'm going to – I've been trying to get Zachary. He's going to have to teach me how to do my own uh, videos out in the world, um, as I just would think that would be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, so they should talk to uh, – you'll email and, or talk to Zach, uh, talk to Jin, talk to Chris. Um and I think businesses, there's so much opportunity here for a business um, to to take videos of meetings, of trainings, uh, letting having a link on their website so that their that staff can link on, get trained, and um, do a self self learning event. Um, I think so much for business to um, to do their own advertising. It's just there's so much that they can do if they put their little minds to it it's it's a great opportunity uh, and a lot of people are willing to help so um thank you very much for all that you do all of you i i kind of look at it as my home away from home i even mm-hmm. sometimes come in there and just sat when i wanted to hide <laughs> so anyway chris thank you very much 
uh, Orca Media. For those of you um, who want to reach out and um, become immortalized and memorialized on video, that'd be cool. This is Pat McDonald, you, Pat. your host of Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Uh, we'll be right back with Mike Donahue. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me on the phone is Mike Donahue, who is one of the top award-winning news and sports writers in New England. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, Pat. Good to be with you. Oh, me too. This has been great kind of reconnecting over the years. We haven't chatted so much except for the last few days. You have got an amazing, an amazing background, and I'm going to tell folks a little bit about the, about you. Um, as you know, he spent most Mike spent most of his career writing for print and online for the Burlington Free Press, which is the state's top news source. He took early retirement, but like many of us who try to retire, um, he became a <laughs> freelance writer and maybe busier now than ever. Uh, he's well known for his work and passion on government transparency, open meeting laws, public records, and of late has commented about the current state of reporting, which we'll talk about all of this um, at the show. Mike, I'm going to stop right here, though, and talk about you really do have a passion for government transparency, open meeting laws. I think as from the, all the years I've known you, that's been your your thing. I mean, it, you've always asked for FOIA requests and, and uh, fight to the end until you until you get them to give you the documents. So could you talk a little bit about where this passion came from? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> thanks, Pat. Uh, well, it started real early in my career. Um, I'd been at the, the free press for a couple of years, and I got a tip that uh, Governor Thomas Salmon at the time uh, was passing out governor's pardons like candy. And uh, they thought it was a story, tipster. And so I made an inquiry, and um, the governor's office said that uh, he had, in fact, uh, issued about 40 full and unconditional pardons, wiping uh, people's criminal records clean uh, in Vermont. And uh, this was during the governor's first term. Uh, probably, I'm trying to remember, uh, probably about 16 months into it. Um, and uh, so we asked for the records, and um, eventually we were told that they wouldn't give us, they would give us all sorts of information. They would not tell us the names of the people who had been pardoned, so you had no idea who uh, had had their records wiped clean. And we, we kept pushing for it. Uh, we kept being denied. Uh, we went to the Attorney General, uh, M. Jerome Diamond, at the time. He did, in fact, say, yes, 
he agreed with us that it was an act of the governor. Uh, we asked again. Uh, the governor said he's going to consult his private lawyer, Tom Hayes, at the time. Tom Hayes came to the same conclusion. And just as he was about to uh, give out the records the following, he said he would give them out the next week, we had a lawsuit filed uh, to block the governor from releasing them. It was the head of the Vermont Parole Board on behalf of one of the persons who got pardoned. Um, and this thing went on for approximately 21 months. Um, the uh, trial court uh, came up with a ruling that was sort of crazy. It said, uh, I, I was entitled to the records but I had to justify it, and uh, both sides didn't think that, well, I say both sides. Uh, the free press had intervened along with some media members. We weren't actually sued. It was the governor and some of the state officials had been sued by this person. We, uh, the free press, intervened, and we said that was preposterous. We shouldn't have to justify why we want a public record. And eventually the Vermont Supreme Court ruled uh, that we were entitled to them and everything like that. So that's sort of a long story, but the real uh, uh, ending of it was when the list came out that, in fact, there were close to 300 pardons that the governor wow. had issued. Uh, the 40 had mushroomed. Now, granted, 70 of those were because of a discredited cop named Paul Lawrence who had uh, been arrested for perjury, and they had pardoned 70 of his defendants. So, you know, it, it really had jumped from 40 to just over 200 probably uh, during that time. So what and, and the other just interesting thing about that was during that whole time, we kept getting reports on some of these pardons that were, were, were just, you know, uh, I was, I was tipped off that uh, that the head of the Vermont Labor Council had uh, been given a pardon for a speeding ticket, and and by coincidence or otherwise, the head of the Vermont Labor Council or the Labor Council had endorsed Tom Salmon the first time around and had just endorsed him for re-election when mm -hmm. this guy got a, a fifty dollars speeding ticket. Uh, and he got a governor's pardon for that. He, he got he got a governor's pardon for it. There were there were some other ones, but the one that was really sort of outrageous that somebody tipped me off on uh, was there was a guy was with three DWIs, three driving under suspensions, and a careless or negligent driving. He was a state employee, and the governor gave him a pardon. The guy had worked down at the state hospital. And Tom Salmon gave him a pardon. And I think it was like four or five months later, he killed a woman up on Route 15, driving drunk. Oh, my God. And uh, between, well, between us and our audience, uh, I knew at that point when I learned that, I said, there's no way the Supreme Court is ever going to allow pardons to be hidden. You know, right. But we kept people kept calling me up and saying, hey, what about this part? What about that part? And I'd go look for, for the guy's criminal record, and it would show that the, 
the the conviction was no longer there. There was no record of it, which means, you know, there'd be a page in the docket book that says a full and unconditional pardon. We received word on such and such a day that a full and unconditional pardon has been granted by, you know, the governor. And uh, instead of the, the records being there, that's that's what was said. So, you know, I, you I, I, I sort of learned, you know, from that, that uh, sometimes things that uh, the governor and or other state officials said uh isn't always true and uh what better thing than to get the actual piece of paper that shows right. what I'm is the record and everything not, like not that not always true what is that Pardon me? i said i'm shocked that you said it's not always true i'm a, i'm shocked and appalled <laughs> that, but you know it, it was a you know it was sort of a an eye opener to me yep. and young in my career and and the Paul Lawrence case was was another one that was an eye opener that you know I was brought up to believe that you know every cop you could trust and yep. you know that that was one where uh you know the first time that I saw that you know a cop was convicted for perjury and I guess cops can lie and so you know I just uh, understand that you know, people don't always tell the truth. You, you hope they do. And but public records, I, I got to tell you, uh, you know, I've had some people tell me, you know, you can go to a lot of public meetings and those are all orchestrated well in advance. You know, everybody knows what the the party line is and everything is going to be fine. But the real stories in local and state government are really in the filing cabinets where the public records are. You know, the reports, the letters, you know, yep. whatever, are in, in the file cabinets and really tell what the real story is on things. So that sort of was what got me really, you know, high on chasing down public records. And we're grateful for that, Michael. I wanted to continue reading your bio because this is very timely. The top annual Freedom of Information Award for the six New England states is named for Mike Donahue, based on all of your career work. That's really impressive, Michael. Um, St. Mike's College recruited Mike to serve as an adjunct professor and academic advisor for the journalism department, and he focused his classes on media law and ethics. That was a big discussion this last year or two in the State House. And sure. you've also <laughs> served as a part-time executive director. You serve for the Vermont Press Association, uh, which represents about four dozen newspapers. Um, Michael, it goes on and on. This is the one I particularly like. Mike is inducted into five, five Hall of Fames. And um, the one, a few other honors that you received, I like the one from the Vermont Association of Broadcasters because they named Mike in 2018 as only its third Friend of Broadcasting Award for his longstanding support for TV and radio. Pretty cool. Well, I, it, that was that was quite a nice honor, and and uh, I, I think some of your longtime listeners would probably uh, the, the first person who got it was a guy named Ray Burke, who was a oh, dispatcher. <laughs> oh, I have a story about Ray. I don't know, but uh, he's, he's fabulous. I told the governor the reason I took my job as Secretary of Transportation was so I could meet Ray. <laughs> 
which he, is sort of he was, he was an incredible guy, and oh. uh, you could you could probably describe him better. But I mean, he was just this colorful dispatcher yeah. that uh, you know would uh, you know tell radio stations about the road conditions, and uh, just was. Uh, an incredible guy. He yep. he was the first one to get that award. Uh, Lloyd Goodrow from the Vermont Air National Guard was the second one, and I was the the third one. That's so I consider well, you're in myself great company, Michael. Good good That's company really, there. Uh, I ad- I adore that man, uh, Ray. Yeah, and his wife was, was just as fabulous, but not as well known. So yeah. anyway, Michael, I'm going to continue with this because it goes on forever. You're vice chairman of the New England Academy of Journalists. Uh, past two-term president of the National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association. And um, this is something I know that you hold dear to your heart. You're a former executive board member of the New England First Amendment Coalition. Um, and you also, as we mentioned, did a stint in broadcasting and sports. And you were the national president. Do you ever just be part of a team, Michael? You were the national president of the National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association. How long well, did it take I, you before they asked you to be chair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a pretty. Uh, I I had a great time. I uh, you know I, I was doing news for a while, and they keep changing beats. And at the free press, uh, the editor. Uh, said to me during my annual evaluation, uh, we're probably going to change beats again. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I've done every single beat that's here. You know, uh, you put me where you want me. You always have. And he said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll go back to general assignment. And I said, well, technically, if I start over, I, I did the work a year, my senior year in high school in the sports department. I said, I guess I'd have to go back to sports. So we laughed. And about three months later, there was... They had lost one person in sports, and the second one had just gave notice, and he came to me and said, would you go in there? And I was going to go in for two years, so I thought. And two became four, four became eight, and eight became 12. And you know how that happens. You, you're on a roll. And I got involved with the National Sports Writers Sportscasters Association, and, and they roped me in because of my service through the Vermont Press Association. Well, and... Eventually got to be national president uh, for two terms, so it was it was a lot of fun because you know you get to meet and see, greet and be on the board with some national people that you see on the tube uh, on the weekends. Jim Nance and uh, from CBS and Bob Costas and some of the names of that you regularly see doing baseball, football, whatever. So it was a great time. Mike, I'd like to get into some of the nitty-gritty of your bio, which is so impressive, and um, we really thank you for all the work you've done to keep us informed. Um, I had Ann Galloway on last week. We were talking about EB-5, and she said that um, coming up soon would be more information about the settlement and that information came out yesterday um, in a letter um, that apparently they've set aside $16.5 million um, to, uh, to try to um, make investors not whole because there were 850 investors and 
in total, they um, put up $400 million. So the 16.5 may just, uh, I don't know what, just sort of a token, a token settlement. And I know you've been trying to get, um, as has VT Digger, do you think uh, the um, Attorney General, uh, Charity Clark, will now uh, make these documents available so we could see the, the background here? Well, I, I know that the state has, since day one, uh, you know, been trying to hide these, these records. Um, um, there's a funny story. I probably can be told now. I don't know. There was a um, uh, uh, I think it was Ann uh, asked Jim Condos if he knew anything about EB-5 and he had been in, looped in on some e- emails, and uh, um, and uh, he said, "Yeah, send me a public records request." And and I think Ann sent him a public records request, and he turned them over. And then somebody from the attorney general's office was talking to him, and they they were really annoyed that he had shared uh, the public records with the public. And uh, you know that that was the attorney general's position all the way through this is not to disclose much. And VT uh, Digger, the free press, seven days, uh, a bunch of people filed various, you know, public records right. chasing, chase, chasing things. And there's been all sorts of things going on. So uh, if this really, if the judge approves this settlement in the end, I mean, I can't see any reason, any justification right. for them to withhold any of these records any further. That uh, you know, this is really going to put Charity Clark on the hot seat for the first time. Uh, that you know, is she going to uh, let the state hide these public records, or you know, is she going to be transparent? And you know, there there was a, as your listeners probably know, I mean. This case had generated a lot of publicity through the years. There was a lot of questions as to whether, you know, people like Peter Shumlin, Pat Leahy, uh, Jim Douglas, uh, you know, might be called to the witness stand or something like that. And I think there was a lot of people, you know, especially in the Democratic Party, hoping to keep some of those people off the witness stand for their careers and everything like that. I don't know what they'd say. But clearly, you know, the settlement means a lot of people aren't going to be put under oath and have to testify as to who right. knew what where. Yeah, I think uh, Governor Shumlin was called in to testify right before they came up with the more recent settlement for a few uh, of the people that were in court. So um, they didn't get to have him testify. Um, do you know what Ann told me? I, I said, when did you know? that there was fraud involved in, in this, and she took my breath away by saying 2014. That's staggering to me. But there you go. Um, I also well, well to- it, it, you know, when they started offering how many jobs they were going to create up in Newport and everything right. like that, I think she and everybody else, well, not everybody, but a lot of people were like <laughs> Exactly. One of those ones. 
when it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, you know. And uh, exactly, uh, I I think that's, you know, I mean, the this the, the press release that was issued yesterday. I mean, I'm not even sure that I even was aware of exactly how many lawsuits there were and how many right. people were involved and and uh, and everything like that. So I mean, it, it's. I mean, it's staggering to, to, to realize. I mean, everybody knew this was the largest, you know, con job in in, in the history, largest fraud, right, uh, in the just, state's history. But you know, to just amazing have, to me. My my hint, and I told Ann this on the show, was when Tony Pomelo went up to look at the big dig to see if he could would do anything about it, and he walked away because he said the finances uh, were kind of squirrely. So he went, hello. Yeah. And Tony, yeah. Tony, uh, and you, he's Mr. Real Estate, right? So you should pay yeah. attention. Anyway, yeah. we have yeah. to take but, I mean, a, we have that. To take were, a hard... Go ahead. The fact that, I mean, there were 33, I think it was, different lawsuits by yep. investors and class action complaint. And, you know, it's just, it was it's staggering as to, yep. you know, how much how much lawyers probably made off of this case. They're the only ones who made money, probably. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, um, we have a, just a few minutes before we have to go to a hard break, which I know you know about. But I, you shared with me a whole bunch of stories along this line where transparency is not uh, at the top of anyone's priority. Um, and the thing that you – and I want to talk about this when we get back from the break – that – the Vermont House Impeachment Inquiry Committee, um, uh, which is looking at um, uh, what's it, the sheriff, um, Sheriff Grismore, and State's Attorney Lavoie, um, that they're holding their meetings in private and secret. And the more you talked about it yesterday, the more I got totally incensed. And I'd love to check with uh, check about that when we get back. Um, because there was a, a letter um, that um, was was written, um, uh, it was appeared in the County Courier, which uh, had some statements in it that just blew my mind that they could actually vote to meet in secret. I mean, how how can that even be possible to to protect the witnesses? And they said that that Lavoie and Grismore may not even be able to hear. What's being said about them? That's part of the part of our process about you being able to uh, face your accuser. And so the whole thing just is amazing to me that it's being allowed. And you and CAX and uh, the Broadcasters Association, everybody's written letters saying this is wrong, and they just keep doing it. So um, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to let Mike explain all this to you. Uh, and we'll, uh, you'll get as uh, yanked and upset as I am. Um, so, <laughs> no, really, I read the letter. I read everything I could get my hands on, and I checked the schedule of the committee, and it says beginning at such and such a time, ending at and no information because it's going into executive session. That is just wrong, especially if they won't let uh, the attorneys or the the accused listen to what's being said. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's just yeah. not how we do it's, it. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think uh, when the public hears, hears more about this, uh, hopefully they'll be 
as outraged as we are. And, you know, it was whatever the, you know, the, unfortunately the legislators get to set their own rules and just to bring any listeners up to date, uh, there is an inquiry going on, uh, in two unrelated cases. Uh, there is one on Franklin County Sheriff John Grismore, who, uh, was caught on video at the sheriff's office while he was the chief deputy uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, either uh, kicking a prisoner in, in the groin or, as uh, Sheriff Grismore now claims, he used his foot and pushed the guy back into uh, his seat. Um, but anyway, that video has seen a lot of airtime, and legislators got upset and uh, they want to consider impeachment uh, of him. He was subsequently elected uh, as the Franklin County Sheriff. Uh, there is the second case involves Franklin County State's Attorney John Lavoie, who um, in this case is fascinating to me in that um, there are employee complaints about things that he has said about coworkers about other lawyers and things like that um, and comments that probably could be considered unprofessionals, maybe sexist, uh, discriminatory, whatever. Um, and um, so they have started an inquiry whether he should be impeached for the comments he made. What I find fascinating about this case, and nobody's talking about this, is John Lavoy has been a state employee for um, 35 years. And I sort of get the impression that nobody has ever said anything about any comments that he's made for 35 years. Right. But when he got sworn in on February 1st, suddenly there is public outrage over things that he's being said. And they the investigation that was done by the state attorneys and sheriff's office focused only on February 1st through, you know, to the current day. And I, I, I guess I'm just scratching my head wondering why hadn't anybody said anything in the first 35 years? Did he right. just suddenly a, a switch got flipped on February 1st and he started making these comments that had never been said before. Right. But, you know, I, it just seems a little odd to me that, you know, and, and he sort of hinted that this is what I've always talked, you know, kind <laughs> of thing, you know. So so I guess I'm wondering why in 35 years, you know, nobody had said anything. I mean, con conceivably he had union protection, uh, and maybe that's why they're only focusing on February 1st on because he's independently elected and everything like that. Uh, uh. So anyway, uh, that, that's sort of an interesting aside. But So they decide that they're going to have a summer impeachment inquiry committee. Uh, seven members from the House were selected. Martin Lalonde, who is a representative from South Burlington, who happens to be my representative, by the way, uh, is on the Judiciary Committee. He chairs it. Michael McCarthy is the vice chair. He's chair of government operations, House government operations. And uh, 
they are going through the process of trying to determine if uh, there should be articles of impeachment presented to the full house. And they discussed this early on and there was a comment made. uh, And I heard Martin say that, you know, that, well, they might go behind closed doors. Well, you know, that's, that's a red flag for me whenever I hear that, whether it's court or an open meeting or whatever. So I called the lawn and I made a comment that, you know, I didn't think that they should be going behind closed doors. This is a public proceeding and people should hear what the accusations are. And, and, you know, everybody sort of knows what they are because it was a report produced and everything. And he said, well, we still may. And, you know, for the, witnesses sake and everything like that and so as executive director of the press association i did follow it up with just a letter confirming what i'd said on the phone just so they'd be a permanent record and they talked about it briefly and said you know we're going to set up some rules and they did in fact set up rules which basically said they're trying to protect witnesses from embarrassment and from being identified and whatever so uh, the press association then hired uh, Matt Byrne, who's from Gravel and Shea, uh, who does a lot of First Amendment work for the press association and others, to actually write a uh, articulate letter about the need for transparency, the whole history of transparency in government and public records and courts and 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 everything like that. And you know, they acknowledged the letter briefly and said, we're still doing going to follow our secrecy rules. And uh, we spoke to the broadcasters. They agreed to write a letter. You know, the general manager of WCAX also filed a letter, you know, protesting, you know, why they're going behind closed doors. And, you know, in fairness, I mean, uh, the committee is saying, they see this as part of an investigation, and therefore not everybody knows what's being said and everything like that. But, you know, the county courier wrote a letter, wrote, excuse me, wrote a story that, uh, you know, basically said, you know, it's no secret who the witnesses are. Right. And and they went to the website, apparently, and got the names of the 10 employees that work in the office and said, presumably... These are the people that are going to be called in, you know. And then on the Grismore case, they said it's no secret who most of the witnesses are. The two deputies that were present when the the alleged assault took place, the prisoner obviously will probably be all. The sheriff who fired Grismore as his chief deputy, the state police detective who investigated. Uh, the assault and that led to a criminal charge uh, being handled by the Grand Isle State's Attorney, Doug DeSabato. Uh, you know, so they've identified well, most of the witnesses. Right. You know, so it's no secret. You know, okay, there might be a couple others they slip in. I don't know if they'll call up Jim Hughes, the former Franklin County State's Attorney, LaVoy's former boss, and ask him any questions. Uh, you know, there could be some other people that, you know, may come forward or something like that. But, uh, you know, it, it's not a secret. These people are going to have to presumably testify 
when the House hears the articles of impeachment. So I'm not sure, and the public is not sure, why they need so much secrecy in this right. thing. But, it, you know, the, the comments that they made and the letter that they wrote and, and everything like that was just sort of, you know, well, people might feel uncomfortable testifying. Well, that happens well, every day in court. What truly bothers me is that they're not going to allow Grismore or Lavoie to even hear the testimony. So how can they prepare for a defense if they don't know what's being said about them? Yeah. Or by who? Yeah. I mean, I mean, anybody can say anything. I mean, don't know, you know, I think these uh, things are being recorded, whether, you know, who will have access to them after. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's it is troublesome again that it's not being in the most transparent way being conducted, so that the public can hear the the uh, John Grismore, the sheriff, John Lavoy, the state's attorney, can hear what's being said about them. Right. Uh, and depending on what is being said, they may want to. Volunteer to come in and testify on their own, you know. I mean, every you know, usually targets the grand juries are given a chance to to come in and testify. You know, well, it's but, very strange. But John John Grismore and John Lavoy have no idea what's been said about them, so they, they probably really don't have any incentive at this point to come in and explain. You know. Right. their position or, or anything like that. So it's a well, one-sided... When you're yeah. a witness, that's sort of part of the deal, isn't it, that you have to get up in court and sit in the box and, and everybody knows what you're saying. That's part of being a witness. Um, it just yeah, exactly. I mean, goes they, along with what we do. Yeah. Very I mean, strange. And, and I'm sure that when that investigation... Uh, the state's attorneys and sheriff's office, uh, you know, when they started looking into the Franklin County state's attorney's office, they hired a law firm, uh, Paul Franken Collins, uh, uh-huh. Karen Stackpole, who's a top human resources kind of person, uh, and another lawyer uh, were the ones selected. And I've got to think that based on their experience, they probably told people, you know, you're giving us a statement. And this may go to a hearing at some point, and you may be called upon to testify in public. I mean, I think people are told, you know, right up front where this case could be going and that you're going to be part of it conceivably, and you may be called. And so it's no secret to the witnesses, and and it's no secret to anybody that this is going to happen, presumably— Unless, unless they change the rules and decide, you know, say this facetiously a little bit, but, you know, if they decide to have the impeachment hearing behind closed doors, I mean, but I think people will come out of their seats if they try to do that. Michael shared with me, I don't think we're going to have time to go over each one of these because I wanted to get to another topic, but I'll just do this really quickly and maybe we can circle back. Um 
that there was uh, some in the Northeast Kingdom govern, government board uh, who discussed and signed a contract with its police union but would not provide copies to reporters. Another issue was the Washington County community recently cut loose its town administrator and wanted to keep the settlement of, this, uh, of the use of taxpayer dollars a secret and initially refused to confirm any payout, which of course is wrong. And then there was an issue at Barry City with the Diversity and Inclusion Committee who um, they were told to, to shut off their, their, their recording device of the meeting because they didn't want anything to appear in social media. Michael, what is happening? Is there any mandatory training that should be available to select boards, to committees? It's public information and public dollars. What's happening? Well, it's a little scary. Uh, the Vermont Press Association spends a lot of its time fighting for open meetings, public records, unsealing of records, whatever. Um, we've spent a lot of time in the um, legislature. We've been invited over there to help uh, with uh, rewriting the open meeting law, the public records law. And, you know, we, we've proposed a couple of things along the way that we think would help with transparency in the state and uh, it just things have fallen you know they, they they haven't gotten any traction or there's been opposition to it um, I mean one of the things that I stole from Massachusetts I suggested that um, when people get sworn in to an office state or local office that they be provided a copy of the open meeting law and the public records law. And, and it just seems like that would be such a natural kind of thing that, you know, when you get sworn in as a, as a selectman or something like that, the town clerk swears you in and you sign the, your oath of office and she hands you or he hands you a copy of the two laws and, uh, you know, Maybe you actually sign for them so that there's a record that you actually did receive them. But we, we suggested that that be added to um, um, the Vermont law. It's something that uh, they do in Massachusetts and that a friend of mine down there told me about that, you know, they're supposed to get copies of the law. And, uh, you know, we just think that that would help with transparency and things like that. We've suggested that there be mandatory training, you know, at some interval or something like that uh, on the open meeting law, public records or whatever. I will tell you that, you know, the town of North Hero, interesting, I, I know them firsthand, but uh, uh, they have an ordinance or a policy whereby every year their select board is mandated to go through open meeting training. The Northwest Regional Planning Commission offers a great class on it. Uh, uh, the executive director up there uh, does it on Zoom forum. And not only are the select board members expected to go, but the policy requires that the chairman of every town committee, whether it's a planning commission, uh, whatever, zoning, recreation, <laughs> library, whatever, 
the chairman also has to attend that session. And the members of any of those commissions have to attend at least once every three years. Uh, if you're just a regular member, you don't have to go every year, but at least once every three years to uh, keep your seat on the uh, on the commission. And, and I think that's a great idea. I mean, you know, but why they can't do that on a statewide basis and everything like that. There's a lot of people willing to offer training. Like I said, Northwest Regional Planning does it for all the towns up Franklin Grand Isle way. I'm sure others would. The Vermont Press Association offers it. The ACLU offers it. Uh, the League of Cities and Towns offers it. Uh, you know, it, there's enough people out there to offer training. And uh, with Zoom and everything like that, it's pretty easy to I just think it should be mandatory because every one of these examples are like no-brainers if you've been involved in politics, even to a a little, uh, just a little exposure. You know when you're messing with with taxpayer dollars, we get to see the contract from the police. We get to hear the, uh, the, uh, the, what's being said at committees. It's just the way it is. Yeah, it, I would say, uh, um, you know, those cases you mentioned, the, the, the impeachment thing, the, the uh, contract where a town administrator left and right. was paid a, a secret amount, um, you know, the, the issue in Barry City, which is still ongoing even this morning as we speak, but, but you know, they they need to make that information available and uh, it just it, it's hard for me to understand how and again these are the calls that just in the past month I've received and that's why I say so much of my work is dealing with transparency and things but you know like I had an editor call me and confirm that any kind of settlement, with a town administrator that went out the door uh, down there in the Mad River Valley, you know, it's it's public yep. record. And so, yep. you know, they really pushed back against, and the town eventually did release the, uh, the signed agreement and everything. And, and in fact, there was a $15,000 payment of tax yep. dollars paid to the person as a uh, golden handshake to, uh, to leave the yep. job. And, it's. it's I will tell you, uh, I got get a little concerned. Uh, the law did change a couple of years ago. We were able to get it changed that if a record is uh, withheld, uh, that if you're sued, the municipality is sued, then uh, and it's deemed to be, uh, you know, a worthless uh, that they withheld it you know, without any basis, everything yep. like that, then the town has to pay or the state has to pay for the lawyer and everything like that. And th- that brought a lot more compliance because in the old days, I will tell you that the old thing, even in state government, and I think you, you're, you ever did this, you're probably the exception, but some commissioners would say, just deny them the record and let them sue us, you know, because nobody could afford to hire a lawyer. And and so that was that was Ronald Reagan's thing, and that was a lot of people. Just 
don't give them the public record. Let them sue when nobody can afford a lawyer. And the law got changed because, sure. because you know, people learned that, you know, well, it happened because of the UVM hazing case where the free press sued. And uh, we tried to get our legal fees back. And uh, it was, I don't know, $12,000. And the Supreme Court eventually ruled that it was, quote, the cost of doing business. Well, the legislature oh. thought that was preposterous, and that's when they changed the, the law. Oh, yeah. Good for them. That's good. We only have a minute left, Michael. I'm going to have to have you come back because you. I want to have that discussion about about your view about uh, young reporters and that there seems to be a lack of interest in writing uh, by high school and college students, which I think would be a great discussion to have. Um, and this, yeah, I, that, I, yeah, I, think I want to, I, you have to come back um, because I would love to have that discussion. That's a lost art, and that's a shame because um, I don't think people read anymore anyway. So there you, there you go. Anyway, I want to thank Michael Donahue. He's a good friend from a lot of years, Michael, and I thank you very much. I will have you back on. Um, and I want people to know I will not be here next week on Tuesday and Thursday. And taking my place is Governor Douglas. So stay tuned. Um, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.